0: and pull up a deck chair, this is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, bringing you true crime from around the world. Hi Islanders, I hope you're well. Last week we had Barbara Stager killing off a couple of husbands, and this week, we have a similar case with the genders reversed. References this week are from the Atlantic Constitution, Forensic Files, and the book Too Late to Say Goodbye. A true story of murder and betrayal by Anne Rule. Very good book. I got it on Audible, as usual. I'm not sponsored by them, but it's so much easier to listen than read. Okay, so this week we go to Burford, Georgia. Which is about a forty-minute drive north northeast of Atlanta, near Lake Lanier. It's two thousand and four, Bart and Barton Corbin lives with his wife Jennifer and their two children in a very nice house at forty-five fifteen Bogan Gates Drive. For the Aussies, there we all know what a Bogan is. From the outside, the forty-year-old six-foot-three dentist Bart and thirty-three-year-old six-foot Jen looked to have the perfect life. Large house, wonderful family, plenty of friends. Bart had built up his dental practice and he was pretty fit sort of guy. And Jen would light up the room when she entered. But that was looking from the outside. In reality, their marriage was over. Bart was having affairs and Jen had an online friendship with someone called Chris. Bart was born a twin on the 22nd of December 1963 in Jacksonville, Florida. When he was young, the family moved to Snellville, Georgia. His mum, Connie, worked in retail and the banking industry, and his dad, Eugene, was a military and a civilian policeman. Eugene, or Gene as he was known, started a chemical company called Greco, and all his sons would work there during the school holidays. They produced household chemicals. Bart and his brothers all attended Gwinnett High School and Dad wanted them to not only do well academically, but he wanted them to excel in athletics. Now this little bit's a bit weird. They had a health teacher that told them, Girls don't like sex. And not to try and ask for it because they would hate it. No woman enjoys sex. Don't touch girls. Well, this would mean Bart ended up at the University of Georgia, a virgin and awkward around girls. He'd been a bit chubby when he was young, but now he was athletic and tall. Bart wanted to study to become a dentist, and now get this, he always wanted to be one since he saw Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where Elf Herbie had the ambition to be a dentist. Bart would eventually have girlfriends, and when he felt it was time he would end the relationship. Now, he felt that the women in his life was his to decide what to do with. The only thing he shared with them was the bill when he took them out. Bart, at one stage, had won two tickets to the Georgia Bulldogs versus Florida Gators football game. Now, this was the biggest event the college had all year. With it, there was the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Now, people would give anything to have tickets to this event. Now, he kept this quiet from his girlfriend Shelley at the time because he knew she would love to attend. He then sold the tickets for a large amount of money and didn't tell her until after the event. He knew she wanted to go, and when he told her, he said it was too expensive to attend. Shelley was pissed off as this was a a once-in-a-lifetime event for them. Bart could have kept quiet and never told Shelley he had these tickets. But he sort of wanted to brag in front of her how much money he'd made from them. She forgave him. And as with most of Bart's relationships, he would break it off with Shelley. That was his way. He breaks it off relationships, not the other way around. So Bart's this, you know, tall, all right looking, smart, witty, but stingy. And for him, everything's his possession. In 1995, Bart's brother Brad, who worked at a club called Barnacles Oyster Bar in Duluth as a bouncer, introduced 24 year old Jen Barber to the then 32 year old Bart. Jen worked at Barnacles first as a waitress and then, because of the great way she dealt with customers, became a shift manager. Jen Barber, born on the 25th of January 1971 in Bowling Green, Warren County, Kentucky, USA. She was tall, like I said, six foot, very sociable, friendly, and wanted to meet a good man, have kids, and plenty of friends. She went to the Savannah College of Art and Design in 1978, and Jen loved photography and interior design. She studied pre-nursing at Gordon College and she didn't want to be a housewife without a career. Jen was drawn more to Bart's wit rather than his looks. It wouldn't be long before Bart proposed marriage and on the 1st of September 1996 they would marry in the Garden of the Craven Pottery in Georgia. Jen was three months pregnant and gave birth to her first son Dalton in March of 97. But she loved being a mother so much, Jen became a stay-at-home mum. To most people, the Corbens were the perfect family. Dentist Bart with his successful practice and wonderful mother Jen. They would soon have their second child Dylan in January ninety-nine. They would go on overseas holidays, sometimes Italy, sometimes the Caribbean. And a funny thing, Bart was a stingy tight ass he would often trade his services for other things he would need. Car needs a service and new tyres, clean the mechanic's kid's teeth and fill a few cavities. I guess it's a good thing to be able to do this, but Bart really didn't like spending money when he could get away with not doing it. In fact, he sort of spent money he didn't really have on stuff for himself, like nice cars, but then made Jen account for every cent of the grocery bill. But as things often are, as I said, what looked fantastic on the outside wasn't so good on the inside. Bart was having affairs, often with his dental nurse. Now, when one partner starts having affairs, they tend to work late, not come home until early in the morning. They start acting a bit weird. And this can't go unnoticed by the other half. Jen had put on a little weight after the birth of Dylan, so she started to work out and get in shape. But one thing she did start doing, she started filling her spare time by getting online and playing games. What she played was EverQuest, a 3D fantasy-themed massively multiplayer online role-playing game, which was all the rage at the turn of the millennium. Maybe I think probably some of you out there actually played it. Jen really got playing online a lot. She would even miss going to see family on the weekends just to play. With these online games, you usually have chat rooms. They're either built into the game or there would be groups on the internet where you could chat with others that played. Now, Jen loved to chat online as well. I guess Bart had become distant. She found companionship online. Now, things in the Corbin house started to get worse. Bart did have a bit of a temper on him and he and he and Jen would get into loud arguments. Some of the arguments stem from Bart not liking the amount of time Jen spent online with her EverQuest game. He thought she wasn't attending to him and the kids enough. In one argument, Jen told Bart she wanted a divorce and she would move out. She didn't and things sort of didn't really calm down but they sort of settled a little bit. Bart told her that he would move out so she could stay there with the boys. However, next time they argued, he told her... She could have the house only if she could work out how to pay for it. And she didn't have a job. Well, Jen ended up getting a job working part-time at the Sugar Hill Methodist Church as a preschool teacher. She was determined to get her freedom. While Bart was having it off with his dental nurse, working it back late, Jen would get online and chat in a chat room with a friend named Chris. For Jen, she found someone she could connect to through the internet. She wasn't actually having a physical relationship or anything, just an online one, and after some time, this grew from the game chat room to an external one and then to emailing each other. It was a virtual loving relationship between two friends, but it got more and more intense and sexual in a virtual sense. Jen would end up making some plans to be with Chris at a later date, knowing her relationship with Bart was doomed. So here we have the Corbins. Again, Bart the successful man, Jen the wonderful mother, and their two kids. Looked like they had it all, but things would soon take a change for the worse. It's 2004 Thanksgiving. Bart and Jen and the kids are on their way to visit family, and on the way, they stop for fuel. As Jen goes to pay, Bart ruffles through her purse and finds a printed out email. It's from Chris, Jen's online friend. He reads it and he's pissed off. It's quite personal and intimate. When Jen gets back to the car, an argument breaks out and Bart punches Jen in the mouth. At that moment, Jen just wanted to be gone from Bart. The relationship was over with him. From that day on, there was an unsettling peace, and Bart tried to find out everything about Jen. He stole her phone, went through a diary, even went through the call list, trying to find out more about this Chris guy. He phoned all the numbers, and when he came to someone he knew, so he'd just make whatever number this is, dial, he'd go, oh, it's you. He'd make the excuse. It was, oh, I'm just reprogramming Jen's phone for her. Now, if the call went unanswered, would take note and he would keep calling it at later date. When he called Heather, Jen's sister, he complained to her that Jen just wanted all his money. Now she snapped back at him saying, Bart, you hit her. He replied, yeah, but I didn't hit her hard. And Heather returned, look, I saw how red her face was. He then tried it on Heather's husband, Doug. He tried to be his best mate to try and get info out of him. Bart was obsessed Doug was a computer guy, so Bart asked him how he could get Jen's emails off the computer. Now, (laughs) Doug honestly just did not want to get caught in the middle of all this, but eventually he gave up and reluctantly gave Bart the number of a computer shop. Then Max Barber, Jen's dad, inadvertently mentioned an item on their credit record when organising the purchase of a yellow Mustang for Bart. And when Bart checked it out, he found that it was a secret credit card Jen had. Now, it only had a tiny limit, but this made Bart furious. Mr. I've got the money. It's my money. You get $75.33 to do the shopping. He finds out she's got her own credit card. When Bart checked what had been bought on the card, he found it was just normal household items. But he thought... Hang on, these items we have already have in our house, and there's a $500 cash advance. Bart figured Jen was starting to set herself up for when she left him. So Bart's getting crazier and crazier at this stage. When he stole Jen's phone, it did have her secret lover's number on it, but Jen was able to warn her virtual lover not to answer any unknown numbers. On November the 30th, 2004, Bart took the hard drive out of the computer and took it to a data recovery company and asked them to get whatever info they could off it, especially Jen's emails, if possible. Now, Jen was still living at the house, even though she'd stashed household stuff ready to go. Her divorce lawyer told her that it would be better to stay in the house and not to move out or it wouldn't look good during divorce proceedings as if she's abandoned the house. Jen thought she could make it through Christmas and then she'd see what she could do after that. Bart told Jen that he didn't want a divorce and if she did he would go for full custody of Dalton and Dalton and Dylan and he would keep the house as well. Now Jen knew she would find it hard to survive on her part-time work and that Bart would fight her for every cent. She started looking for full-time work. So Bart's freaking out. And in reality, he was always the one to leave the relationship, not the other way around. How dare Jen have this lover and threaten to leave him while she shacks up with him in his house with his kids? This was twisting Bart's brain. It was consuming every moment of his day. Now, it's funny how people are like this. Here he is bonking his dental nurse, but he's totally furious his wife might be doing the same. On the 29th of November 2004, Bart Corbin files for a divorce. He wanted the house, the furniture, his attorney fees, child support and permanent custody of Dalton and Dylan. On December the 1st, at 6am, police are called by Jen. Now, Bart had gone into the house. I don't think he was staying there at the time. He goes into the house, takes her phone, takes other possessions of hers, plus it looks like a shotgun goes missing. Now, as Bart leaves the house, Jen followed him because she's been in bed and she's wearing hardly anything. And as, as she stood next to the window of this yellow Mustang trying to say, where are you going, what are you doing? He reverses over her foot. When police turn up, Jen refused to go to the hospital and no report was filed. There you go. The cops should have just filed the report anyway, but they didn't. I mean, things might have changed nowadays where it would have got filed automatically. But Jen, if you'd just filed that report, then maybe things have turned out different. But let's go on. But then something tragic happened. In the morning of the 4th of December 2004, Dalton would walk into his parents' bedroom and find his mum with blood on her face and wouldn't wake up. He was only seven years old. He goes to the neighbour's house in his PJs and tells them, My daddy shot my mummy. The neighbour raced over to see what was going on and they see Jen in bed, blood covering her head. The police are called. They find Jen slumped over in the bed, a gunshot wound to her head and a .38 caliber revolver in her lap or just under the covers in a, near her a lap. And there's divorce papers from Bart. Bart is at his brother's house and he's told the news. Now he says he's going to come over, but after a time and he doesn't turn up, he's called again. He still doesn't go to the house. He doesn't even ask if Dalton and Dylan are safe. He doesn't even try to go and be with them. Several other calls to Bart are now being answered by his brother. Now, initially, the death is treated as a suicide. Investigators theorise that Jen, on finding out Bart, has filed for divorce, has killed herself. Bart didn't seem to want to fully cooperate with police either. Now, he told them that the night before Jen's death, he was out with friends at the Wild Wing Cafe bar in Suwani, and he had receipts to back up his claim. He then said he went to a friend's house and then finally stayed at his brother's house where he was when he was called notifying him of Jen's death. He also told him he didn't want to cop any flack from Jen's parents at the house, and that's why he didn't go there. Now Jen's body was subject to an autopsy, and this shone a whole new light over her death. The autopsy showed that the trajectory of the bullet entering her head was from the rear right side and it was moving forward. Now, this was unusual that you'd hold the gun like that, but it does happen. The medical examiner then asked for crime scene photos which showed the gun placed in front of her body. Now, well, it was under the covers, just in the front of her body. Now, this was impossible. The gun shouldn't have landed where it did. It suggested that it had been placed there after she was shot. Also, there was no GSR or gunshot residue on Jen's hand nor blood spatter on her hand. The gun that killed her when tested showed it gave off a huge amount of GSR. Jen's death was now being treated as a homicide. At the same time, a neighbour of Corbin's told police it was that She thought that one of Bart Corbin's ex-girlfriends years before had also killed herself by shooting herself in the head. Now, the cops are on to something here. They found that Bart Corbin's ex-girlfriend, 27-year-old Dolly Hearn, had indeed died from a gunshot wound to the head on June 6, 1990, and that it had been treated as a suicide. So this is 14 years before. Police contacted Dolly's parents. Now, they never for one minute thought their beautiful daughter that had so much to live for had killed herself. They were pissed off that the police didn't investigate Bart Corbin more thoroughly and believed he'd done it. The crime scene photos for Dolly's death were still available. Now, she could be seen cross-legged on the sofa slumped to one side, covered in blood and the gun in her lap. At the time of her death, the cops, they didn't have a blood spatter analyst, but now they did. When the blood patterns on Dolly's body were analysed, they showed that her hand had no blood spatter, showing she hadn't held the gun to her head when it went off, and there were transfer marks on her inner thigh. It looked like she'd been shot from the side and the gun placed in her hand in her lap, and this is where this blood transfer had occurred. The gun used was one she kept under her bed for her own protection. Police also found that Bart had proposed to Dolly, but she'd turned him down. After they broke up, Bart stalked her constantly. Here's some of the things that happened. He stole her cat, Tabitha. He stole some of her academic resources that she required to pass her dental exams. Yeah, that, she was studying to be a dentist, and that's how they meant. He also put hairspray in her contact lens case. My God, what that would feel like. He took the fuel cap from her car and he let down her tyres. Bart ends relationships, it's never the other way around. Oh, by the way, she got her cap back. So, now we have his wife wanting a divorce. And now she's found dead with a gunshot wound to her head. Another dead woman that wanted to leave Bart Corbin when police followed up with Bart's next-door neighbour. They were told in the early hours when Jen was killed, he'd heard the familiar sound of Bart's car pull up. Phone records would put him in the area at the same time. Now, you know who he was calling. He called his marriage guidance counsellor to cancel his and Jen's appointment they had for the next day, leaving a message on the phone saying that it wouldn't be required. Okay, so you know how I told you Bart was stingy and tight ass. He's so tight that he will cancel the appointment for a marriage counselling after killing his wife just so he doesn't get charged for it. And yes, of course, that's no spoiler alert at this stage that he killed his wife. I think you sort of worked that out already. Bart killed Jen and police would pick him up and charge him. What was sick as well was that he attended Jen's funeral before he was arrested. Jen's family at that stage pretty much suspected him of killing her. And how awkward that must have been. Anyway, he protested his innocence throughout the interrogation. But he ended up confessing once all the forensic evidence was put in front of him. He also did a plea deal to take the death penalty off the table in return for confessing to killing Dolly Hearn. And remember what really sparked Bart's temper and pretty much led him to plan Jen's death? Those emails he found in Jen's purse during Thanksgiving. The ones from Chris. Well, Chris wasn't Mr. Chris. It was actually a woman called Anita. Jen had been catfished for quite a while, but when Chris or Anita came clean and told her she wasn't a man... Jen ended up coming around to it and was actually fine with that. She'd fallen in love with the personality, not the gender, and was planning on meeting up with her in the very near future. Another weird fact was that at 1.30am, just short of the time before Jen was killed, Jen had been chatting with Anita online. Now this is a bit weird, this one. Anita asked, would she put a gun to her head and pull the trigger if she asked her to do it? Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. That's really weird. I was thinking when I heard that, could Bart have been posing as Anita online, so that when he goes and shoots her in the head, that they'll see this chat and that she's done it herself? I mean, this was never investigated and I've never found anything to back up that theory at all. But it seems weird that this happened. Now, Bart Corbyn would plead guilty on two charges of first-degree murder and receive two concurrent life sentences. Well, Islanders, (laughs) there you go. This guy got away with the murder of his ex for 14 years until he tried to stage the same crime with his wife. The problem is he just didn't stage them right. Lucky there were crime scene photos of Dolly's murder so that 14 years later they could be analysed, proving she didn't kill herself. Also, the medical examiner, she asked for crime scene photos when she did the autopsy, again proving Jen didn't kill herself. What really gets me is how the stingy, tight-ass Bart Corbin, when about to kill Jen, knew he didn't need the marriage counselling the next day and rather than just keep the appointment and pay the no-show charge, he cancelled it to save money. I mean, I'm sure if you rang up your counsellor and said, oh, my wife got murdered last night or she took a life, I'm pretty sure they're just going to waive the fee. They're not just going to send you a bill. But he couldn't take that chance. He's such a stingy bastard. That he's killed her, and I don't know if he did it just before he went in the house or just after, but he's done it, knowing she's going to be dead, so he doesn't need it anymore, so he better just leave a message, that's just the height of scumminess, also the call outside his house, that fucked him up, because the phone pinged the cell tower nearby, rather than being one near his brother's house where he said he was, I mean why not just wait till you get home, I, to his brother's house, I don't know. That stuffed him. Like I said, Bart didn't take to have a woman leave him. He was the one that did the leaving. Everything was his possession, including women. He only gives it away when he's ready to give it away. Dolly knocking him back on his marriage proposal and Jen wanting a divorce was just not going to happen in his mind. If they wanted to leave him, they would pay the ultimate price. No man was going to have his women. Dolly, well, she was right at the end of her studies when she died and she got a posthumous doctorate awarded to her. Like I said, she just had a final exam, so the university did that for her. So last week we had Barbara Stager kill two husbands years apart and this time it's Bart killing many years apart, both trying a similar method with guns, but then get caught up in their lies and bad murder planning. I guess it's this sort of craziness that draws us all to these true crime cases. But, Corbin, you're just the scum of the earth. You destroyed two innocent, beautiful lives that had so much more promise than yours. You not only destroyed them, but you also shattered the lives of their family and friends, and all you had to do was let go and move on, you hypocritical fuckwit. Okay, so don't forget to check out Too Late to Say Goodbye... A True Story of Murder and Betrayal by Anne Rule. It really is a deep dive into this case and it goes right into the Dolly Hearn case a lot more than I could here. Honestly, some of these books, I think that one might be 13 hours worth. You're going to get a lot more detail. Okay, so that's the end for this week. I'd like to thank my patrons past and present for keeping the light on. James Ramsey, S. Vajja, Ava Leupold and just a special thanks to everyone out there. If you'd like to throw a dollar my way, please check out patreon.com forward slash Island. Or if you just want to shout me a beer for Christmas, you can donate to paypal.me forward slash Island. A free beer is always nice like I say after dumpster diving into these cases just like John Kelly did this week Thank you so much lunga, everybody But can I just ask you to take the time to maybe share the podcast with your friends or even in groups on Facebook, whatever. The Island is one of the few truly independent true crime podcasts out there and commercial free. Because of the straight up nature of how I bring the show to you, sometimes this doesn't go too well with Apple and all this sort of stuff. So I do rely on your help in getting the word out there. Best of all, that's free of charge to help the Island out. I'm also listed on Audible. If you could just rate and review if you've got it on got audible or Amazon because there's not there's a lot of podcasts getting on there now. I've, there's a few true crime ones of course, but not so many have been rated. Let's try and rate up the island and get it up there. Go to my website, truecrimeisland.com, where you can stream each episode. If you don't want to use any of these iTunes pod players or whatever, you can download it or you can stream it. I have links to merch. Social media is there as well. Also, you can email me. It's always the best way if you want to get in touch. Don't message me. Email me. Well, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Bullfuck